Truth Espresso, episode 233. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello there, friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, and I have with me my sweet, beautiful wife and co-host, Chelsea. And we are here to talk about some items that are going around in the news right now. It seems like news just comes at a million miles an hour now, and eventually we'll get back to our series on revivals, and we'll get to John Wesley, but there's a lot going on this week, and so we're working on a shorter episode for this time, and we're going to address the battle over Mephapristone, We talked about that when we talked about our state of Colorado and the uh, three bills that went on there, but now this battle over Mephapristone itself is raging in an interstate regional level and also in a national level. So, ready to talk about the battle over Mephapristone, sweetheart? Yes, and I was actually just thinking that I really like how you picked out the word battle in this (laughs) because it is a battle Mm -hmm. and it reminded me of Ephesians 6 12 it says for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places And it's a good reminder, looking at this verse and just remembering that when we are in these battles of life and death and right and wrong and everything that's going on, it's really easy to kind of feel like you're only looking in front of you. You don't see like that there's light at the end of this. And I think this verse is just an encouragement to remember This is like a bigger battle than what we can even do. And that's okay because that gives us hope because we know that God is in this battle. He sees what's going on. He cares about what's going on and that he's going to ultimately be victorious in all this. And I think that kind of helps understanding like we're doing our parts. We're doing our best. We're doing what God asked us to do. And there's just a lot to this in that we just have to trust in God. Definitely. Amen, sweetheart. And yeah, as we mentioned, this is a battle. I also have to ask the question, why is there a battle? Because we hear the propaganda talking about that it's just religious fanatics trying to deny women or now pregnant people their reproductive health rights and so on like that but why is there like i haven't met anyone who holds to any particular religious claim who would have a problem with surgery to remove a tumor or corrective surgery to save the life of a person that didn't have anything to do with another human being a pregnancy there so why is that an issue and that the pro-abortion side seems to act 
as if it's just like a surgery to remove a tumor or oh, it's just religious fanatics that are trying to get in the way of health care. But we don't get in the way of health care when it comes to surgeries, like I said, removing a tumor and stuff. But they know what the difference is. They know what they're talking about. And that's why it's a battle. And so, yes, this is a battle over Mifepristone. So we mentioned that. And if you've been listening to recent episodes of Truth Espresso, you probably have a bit of an understanding of what it is but if you're just tuning in sweetheart can you just briefly in a few sentences or so (laughs) explain what exactly is this mifepristone what's called the abortion pill sure so mifepristone is a medication that is used to induce an abortion and it works by blocking the progesterone receptors in the uterus and The effect of that is that the baby is not able to get adequate nutrients and dies. And then they administer a second medication, misoprostol, to induce contractions. And then the mom will deliver the non-living baby now. And that combination is commonly referred to RU486. And misoprostol has been around and is used in a lot of different aspects. Um, It can be used to help with a woman who has miscarried already. She has naturally lost her baby and the miscarriage is just taking longer. So sometimes a provider can offer misoprostol to just kind of help that miscarriage further itself a little bit quicker. And then It's also used to induce labor if mom is ready to deliver her baby in the last days or weeks of her pregnancy there. She can get misoprostol to help soften the cervix and start contractions going. So there are different uses for misoprostol. So that's kind of why this one isn't talked about as much and isn't in this debate right now. Whereas mifeprestone does a more direct, targeted abortion type of effect. I mean, misoprostol by itself can induce an abortion too if the baby is alive when you administer it. So that's the abortion pill, RU486, mifeprestone, and how those work. Thank you, sweetheart, for that, right. that, was a that few more summary there. So, yeah. So basically, the two different types of pills, mifepristone basically kind of starves and kills the baby and then misoprostol afterwards causes labor basically to expel the dead baby and misoprostol by itself if you don't take mifeprestone can in the process kill the baby and expel it and so on like that but those two pills are often the chemical or medical abortion pill regimen But recently, as things have transpired this past week or two, there has been a major court case that kind of puts the current use of mifepristone in question. And so I just want to step through a little bit of history to understand how we got here and why there's kind of these conflicting rulings going on. And basically the fate of mifepristone is kind of up in the air. And so if mifepristone ends up kind of getting banned or at least suspended temporarily, that could possibly drastically affect the medical abortion industry 
at least the way it operates or who knows how long, maybe a year or two or a few years or what. You know, it's hard to tell how quickly things change. So what we're talking about with Mifeprestone in the year 2000, the FDA approved it under subpart H which covers serious or life-threatening illnesses. That's part of the wording for subpart H, and this was encouraged at the end of the Clinton administration. This is almost kind of part of their campaign. We're going to make this promise that we're going to be able to get this out there for people who need a chemical abortion. So the original requirements for mifepristone under subpart H, it could be given up to and within 49 days of pregnancy or the first seven weeks of pregnancy. It had to be given in person. It had to be dispensed in person. So in other words, you couldn't go to your local Walgreens and get it dispensed. It was dispensed in a clinic by a licensed clinical physician such as a doctor and the doctor would have to evaluate are there any risks to this woman who was seeking an abortion he would dispense it there evaluate and dispense and within that time frame and to my understanding too at this time the interaction between a physician was usually about three visits Mm. so they have initial one one came during the process and then one later to follow up and make sure everything was completed and there weren't any risks and stuff. In other words, you couldn't just get mifepristone like it was candy, you know. Mm-hmm. You couldn't stick the quarter in the little slot and get out a piece of <laughs> So the year 2000, FDA approved it not in the normal way that they approved drugs, and this was not approved specifically as if it was for aiding pregnancy. It was to treat a serious illness, which then raised some red flags, and I know it was challenged pretty early on after this, and we'll see according to the arguments from the opponents of Mifepristone here. So the year 2007 is when the FDA introduced their REMS program. So sweetheart, can you briefly in a few sentences explain what REMS is? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will try to keep it to a few sentences. <laughs> um, so REMS is the risk evaluation and mitigation strategies program. And there are just over 70 medications that are on that list. And it's basically a program to monitor what indications and medications given, if there's any side effects or adverse outcomes. And it's just kind of a tracking system to see like, okay, is this still a good medication to keep on the market or are we seeing too many red flags and we should pull it off? But I think it's a little bit crazy that there's only just over 70 medications out of the thousands, millions of medications that we have. There's only 76 that are on this list that you have to report any adverse outcomes and like why you give it and stuff. So you think there should be more or less in REMS? (laughs) I would think you would want more. Okay. (laughs) Because I think over time you can see more a pattern of certain reactions or adverse events. And when they keep pulling REMS back or away or not requiring that, then there's no way to evaluate that it is a safe medication to be given. 
And I think that's where we fall short of providing good care for people because we really don't know that a lot of medications are safe. And yet here we are boasting that RU486 is safe. It's safer than pregnancy. It's safer than taking Tylenol. (laughs) There's no way to be able to just write out boast that. You think if Tylenol were invented or discovered or whatever, after the REMS program is introduced, do you think Tylenol would have been on REMS? (laughs) Probably not. It's mostly, you see um, some cancer drugs, opioids is a big one. So, yeah, poor Tylenol. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but the fact that mifepristone is claimed to be safer than Tylenol, which of course that would require a lot of explanation for that, like, Okay, yeah, it's not as if people are overdosing on mifepristone, according to the abortion pill regimen, but safer than Tylenol. Allegedly, when you're talking about reported deaths, statistically there, where with Tylenol, it would be those who overdose, those who likely take in too much of it because they're trying to take their own life. Mm-hmm. So then in 2011, according to my research for this timeline, mifepristone was added to the REMS program, which also kind of demonstrates that wasn't mifepristone recognized as risky? And the whole idea was to test to see if Of course, as 100% pro-life here, we're not in any way advocating that mifepristone to be used for inducing abortions or aiding in an abortion process is somehow something that's like morally up in the air, something we can say, yeah, we can give our nod to that. We just need more testing. We're not saying that at all, but we're trying to reason through the way, especially the proponents of it would try to argue and to see if they're consistent with it. But mifepristone was added to REMS in 2011, and wouldn't that indicate that there is the idea that, hey, it could be dangerous, there can be risks, we're trying to evaluate whether the alleged benefits outweigh the risks. So then we get five years later to 2016, and the FDA starts to ease up restrictions on mifepristone. So what used to be 49 days in 2016 is now up to 70 days. So now you could take mifepristone within and up to 10 weeks of pregnancy instead of seven And then medical practitioners other than licensed clinical physicians could now prescribe it. So you didn't have to get it from an MD or whatever. There could be like nurse practitioners and so on who could also dispense it in office at this time, but for a longer pregnancy period and more people could dispense it. (laughs) Which is interesting because I'm going to say that often. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of the complications that you see with the chemical abortion, like mifeprestone, those complications become more extreme the further along the woman is in her pregnancy. So increasing that range up to 10 weeks, just kind of arbitrarily, the FDA says that now we're just making the risk of adverse events and death even higher because now you can give it to someone who's later in her pregnancy. I can see where around this time there were thought of, hey, you know, 
there's more money to be made in this. There's more demand for it. I don't really think it was all just, oh, we've evaluated over time that it's safe, safe, safe. So, hey, it's safe for up to 10 weeks. We did our clinical trials and so on. It seems more like, hey, you know, let's stretch the lines a little bit and broaden things because there's money to be made here. Right. So it's not about providing health care for women when it's just arbitrarily increasing that timeline just to make it some extra money. Hmm. Like they're not looking at the safety and what can happen to these women and definitely not what's happening to these babies. Yeah. And so to me, that's the frustrating part of this is that they're so singly minded <laughs> and tunnel visioned on making money that they lose all aspect of okay this is someone's life we're talking about not just one life but two lives we're talking about here and a lot of these rules like what they expand on or what they eliminate like you said it's all based on how much money they're going to make and it's not based on is this good for the patient or is this bad for the patient it's not about that for them We talked about this over a year ago in December 2021, which is when we start talking about this more. The in-person requirement was removed because of, you know, that pesky virus that was going on, the whole lockdown stuff. And the idea was, hey, it's not safe to have people show up in clinics and have this dispensed in person anymore. And of course, abortions are emergencies that are necessary, and so we need to make mifepristone available by mail so people don't catch the virus. And so now you have things much more lax, and we talked about that, mail-in abortions. So look at how fast we went in this timeline from 2000 to 2021. There's no in-between of, okay, 2000, you have three doctor visits that you need. It has to be in person up to seven weeks. Now, 20 years later, we're saying you don't have to have a doctor's visit. You can just get the pill mailed to you and it can be done up to 10 weeks. Like there's just this huge shift. You would think that there would be little steps to make sure, okay, let's try it with two visits. Let's try it with one visit. Let's, you know, see if 10 weeks is showing more complications or not. I don't know. It just seems like everything's just pushed so quickly and extremely that you don't have time to see what are the consequences of these decisions. Yeah, mail-in mifepristone and misoprostol, mail-in abortion pills by after a telemedicine. So basically, you have an appointment with a doctor over Zoom, and then they probably ask you, like, okay, what are your symptoms? Can you give an estimate of when you think your last um, period was? And a lot of women don't know that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, here, I'll give you a prescription and you can order the pills by mail. But yeah, isn't there an issue with, well, if if they get the gestational age wrong, there could be dangers and and problems there and the fact that really you need an ultrasound to ensure that the gestational age is uh, correct for that. Yeah, so the two major concerns with eliminating in-person doctor visits is that 
like you said, babe, um, knowing more accurately what the gestational age is. And then also that the pregnancy is actually viable. One in four women miscarry. That's a pretty high number. Like you want to make sure that you're not inducing something causing all this trauma when the baby was not viable already. And then the other aspect is making sure that the baby is inside the uterus. Because if it's a tubal or ectopic pregnancy where the pregnancy is outside of the uterus and a woman's I mean, she's not going to have symptoms of that initially. Mm. And then she takes me for Pristone. That could kill her. Mm. So to me, it's just so ridiculous that they're saying it's okay for women to not see a doctor to confirm those three aspects of it. I guess there's three I said to earlier. But they have to know what is going on inside their body. And like you said, a lot of women don't know when their last menstrual period was. It can be off up to like two to three weeks, depending on were their cycles regular before or did they ovulate later? And there's so many different aspects that can go into where they are in dating like that. If they're thinking they're around 10 weeks, but then their baby's actually 12 weeks, then they're taking it outside of that window that, you know, the FDA somehow claimed that is the safe window. It really does seem like the FDA and medical providers and the the makers of Mifepristone, I know I've heard the term revolving door before, so it seems like there's a lot of uh, collusion there, collaboration, and really it doesn't seem like they could care less anymore about any concept of limitations or restrictions on this. It's just, hey, there's money to be made, and if you don't have a respect for life, for humanity, the unborn, why would they have respect, really, for the life of the women, of the unborn? And so, yeah, it's just, hey, send the pills by mail and rake in the billions, and if women die, well, hey, that's just their fault. They took the risk, and yeah. So all of this stuff, and as you mentioned, sweetheart, the quick changes and things from the original restrictions and so on that kind of brought up a lawsuit from the newly formed alliance for hippocratic medicine they sued the fda they filed a lawsuit november 18th 2022 and they claimed that the fda approved mifepristone illegally And I mentioned before, like the way the Clinton administration tried to push the FDA to get this approved under subpart H, where it's like treating mifepristone as if pregnancy is a serious illness. So, you know, that's what subpart H is for drugs to treat illnesses. But pregnancy is not an illness. Hey, like you say, we we're all alive here due to an illness You know that that doesn't quite seem right here. I speak to parents all the time who come up to me and they see what's happening, but they don't know what to do. And I just want to stand up and say, you can do this. Here is a solution. This is Yvette Hampton, host of the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. Join us each week for a new episode as we offer encouragement and resources on biblical discipleship from popular speakers and authors, as well as parents just like you and me. Find out more at schoolhouserocked.com or listen anywhere you find your favorite podcast.
They also claimed that the uh, FDA did not sufficiently test the drug. It didn't go through all the normal tests and processes, unlike other drugs that actually treat illnesses. <laughs> and also they claimed that the Comstock acts, which were acts introduced in the late 1800s that prohibited lewd things, mailed also contraceptives and abortifacients, you know, and that was kind of as a result of the early AMA, which started off as a pro-life organization with the leadership of Dr. Richard Storr, who kind of led the wave with his research and books there. And so the Comstock acts were like trying to prevent abortions and things that would ultimately cause things like pornography or just stuff like that, along with contraceptives and abortifacients to promote a culture of life, promote a culture that doesn't lead to unexpected pregnancies. But we know that the 20th century ultimately returned a lot to that. So then January 3rd, 2023, so this year, a few months ago, while that lawsuit was going through the court system, telehealth prescriptions, the mail-in abortions were going into effect, but also the idea is that clinicians could prescribe them and then people can go to their local CVS or Walgreens and pick them up there instead of having to get them mailed from out of state that they would be available right there to pick up. So try to get them anywhere, whether through the mail or just walk into a pharmacy and get them. Okay, so another crazy part that happened amidst this time frame, I'm not sure exactly when, but there were companies that put up websites where you could directly order the abortion pill through them. Mm. So you didn't even have to go through a physician. Hmm. You just enter in your information and they mail you the abortion pill kind of authorized black market type stuff there yeah. yeah so it's kind of like okay you can order a product off of amazon you can also just go to a website and order the abortion pill there yeah one of my clients that i helped with the abortion pill reversal that's how she got the abortion pill was going on a website and getting it mailed to her was the FDA trying to stop these type of websites? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Yeah, there's a good reason that the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine had a case against the FDA to say, hey, look at what's changed over time. Look at how lax they got. This doesn't seem right. It doesn't really seem like it's the legal approval process here. Now, February 23rd of 2023, there was a almost kind of the opposite case being filed. It was the state of Washington. So in the district of eastern Washington, like the state of Washington among 17 states and D.C. versus the FDA. So they're kind of quote unquote suing the FDA. But really, the lawsuit was just to get a judge to rule in favor of the FDA. So it's kind of it seemed like it's a suit against the FDA, but it's trying to get a court to protect what they want the FDA to do that the FDA clearly wants to do. (laughs) So the complaint was to pray for relief, as as a filing would say, to get an injunction from the court that the FDA must declare mifepristone to be safe and effective, and it cannot enforce REMS on mifepristone, and it cannot reduce or inhibit the market for it in any way. Yeah, reading through that court case, the arguments seem pretty like flimsy and 
propaganda. Yeah, it did not seem as solid as the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine's argument against the whole process of uh, selling Mifepristone. So now... We get to April 7th, that fateful day of April 7th, as Judge Matthew J. Coxmarik, <laughs> I think I'm uh, trying to pronounce his name correctly there. Now, there was like a leak mid-March. He said that he would rule on the case soon, but he realized that kind of like with the Dobbs decision the previous year, there was danger to his life. So he was trying to get the hearing not to be publicized, but it ended up being publicized when they heard the hearing in mid-March. And then they said he was going to rule on it shortly, but shortly turned into several weeks later. But then finally on April 7th, he did issue the preliminary injunction to suspend the FDA's approval of Mifepristone. And this was a case that was in Texas. Yes, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> and I know the pro-Mifepristone people were claiming, okay, since this judge has said he's a Christian, he's spoken against abortion, we know that they picked this venue because they knew they had a chance that this judge would rule in their favor. And yeah, they're kind of under wraps there. I know he had to <laughs> who knows what could end up being revealed as to what was going on during those several weeks where he had to make sure things were safe enough for him so that he could finally issue the injunction he knew would make sense to give. So basically to suspend the FDA's approval of Mifeprestone that it was done illegally as the plaintiffs claimed. And so that, therefore, Mifeprestone would not properly be legally authorized and the, the FDA would have to go through the proper testing as they do other drugs and possibly, you know, anything related to pregnancy specific, whatever the case there, and that it could take several years for them to do it properly. And yeah. We can't have that. <laughs> but now, on that same day, like just hours later, on April 7th, after the judge in Texas issued the preliminary injunction to suspend Mifepristone, Judge Thomas Rice, who was overseeing the state of Washington case, issued an order effective for the state's filing, so those 17 states and D.C., that the FDA could not change the current availability of Mifeprestone. So <laughs> on that same day, you basically have two judge rulings that completely contradict each other in every way. Now, of course, Judge Kaxmarik was really a higher justice, you know, more of a federal court there. You know, he essentially had more authority, so it was kind of like, well, how do we resolve this? And Judge Rice could affect on behalf of the 17 states in D.C., while the other one was more of a everything else kind of thing, anything that wouldn't fall under that. But Still, we have to figure out how to resolve these two conflicting rulings over the same drug or the same FDA there. And, of course, I'd see news articles where people would basically say, you know, what gall on the part of the Texas judge to be able to think he even has the authority to say that the FDA can't do what it wants regarding drugs like well, he's not a medical professional. The FDA is full of the experts, the medical professionals there, that they have the authority and 
<laughs> you have to entrust the FDA with everything. So basically, the FDA as an unelected bureaucracy could basically just do whatever they want. And, you know, the checks and balances, the executive, legislative, judicial branches that the founders crafted for the sake of liberty, like, we have to just say that none of that has any say because the FDA, <laughs> a bureaucracy created with unelected bureaucrats could somehow legally do whatever they want. No one could challenge them. That doesn't seem right to me. So then three days later, April 10th, of course, with lots of outrage, the Department of Justice run by, you know, deep state, <laughs> obviously pro-abortion, pro-mifepristone bureaucrats filed an emergency motion to stay the Texas ruling and let the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. So they were filing for an emergency motion to stay via the Court of Appeals. And they probably expected that the Court of Appeals would just completely overturn it. But then two days later, the Fifth Circuit, in a two-to-one decision, did stay Judge Kaxmarik's order to argue that the year 2000 approval for Ms. Pristone should stand. So they stayed his judgment, but said the 2000 approval must still stand, but the original rule should also stand. So reversing the mail-in abortions, reversing the 2016 loosening. So basically it's like back to the year 2000 with you. <laughs> Up to seven weeks again, required the three doctor visits and have no mail-in option. And of course, the DOJ and Danco Laboratories, the FDA, were not very happy about that either. <laughs> and so they appealed to the Supreme Court. <laughs> so things are moving pretty fast and things are kind of changing hands and changing. Okay, well, this isn't allowed. No, this is allowed, but not this and so on. And then that same day, of course, Judge Rice, back again in the Washington case, basically issued an order that claimed that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling doesn't apply to the 17 states and D.C. under his ruling. So basically saying, all right, my ruling stands on behalf of you guys, not Judge Coxmarik's, and then therefore also not the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, none of that affects us here. <laughs> and now two days later from that, <laughs> so April 14th, now you're having the Supreme Court start to get into things, as we expect. Things are racing up the stack there to the Supreme Court. And Justice Alito, who also wrote the ruling, the opinion there in the Dobbs decision the last year, he did a quick ruling to stay all pending rulings in this battle until Wednesday, April 19th to allow both sides to submit their case by Tuesday. So basically he's saying, all right, <laughs> until Wednesday, coming up pretty quickly, everything underneath us is stay. Now get your arguments to buy Tuesday and now we'll release our official ruling in this. Yes. So this next week and we are continuing this battle of life and it's intense. And like you said, like it keeps going back and forth and it's making the pro-choice 
Well, I don't even want to call them pro-choice. The pro-abortion <laughs> movement, just very angry. It's been interesting if any of our listeners have seen or heard of any of the just outbursts that these people have had anywhere from the ACLU, Planned Parenthood. I mean, just like on every single side, you just feel like the demons are coming out. Like they're, they're, they're shrieking like banshees. Yeah. yeah. They're so upset about all of this and they're frustrated that these anti-abortion people would put more restrictions on access to abortion because abortion is life saving to these women is what they're saying. <laughs> and I mean, you just see the intensity of the evilness that's behind it. And so it's so vital for us as Christians to just be in constant prayer and taking action to do what we can against this battle. And I know we were kind of joking, well, slightly joking. I'm like, I wonder if World War Three could even erupt from <laughs> this battle because it's just so intense mm, of yeah. the pro-abortion people just getting more and more boisterous, uh, just angry, violent, wanting to get their way. And I mean, it makes sense. They're so pro-death. Like mm-hmm. they'd be happy if they could eliminate all Christians. So oh, yes. it's just... <laughs> Yeah. They wish they could push this big shiny red button and all of their opponents would just disappear. Yes. And we know from scripture that one day that will happen that you know <laughs> we will be raptured and those who have not trusted Christ they're going to be the ones standing before the throne of God giving their accounts for what they've done. And to me that's it's so sad that you see all these people who are lost and they need Christ. They need a savior to rescue them from their plots of eternity in hell, eternity separated from God. And it's easy to get frustrated that these people are just so pro-abortion and they throw out all these lies and evilness. But at the same time, you can see like, Yikes, they're so lost. They Mm. don't have hope. They don't have Christ in them. And so then at the same time, you kind of have this compassion for them too Mm. because you want them to be able to come to that saving knowledge of Christ. Definitely. We have such a culture of death today, but you realize that we need a culture of life. But really, how do you get a culture of life? How does that even make sense to you unless you have the truth of the meaning of life, which comes from the creator of life, which comes from the gospel? Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, really, how does one have an absolute reason for a conviction and an understanding of fighting for a culture of life? Like, just let people do what they want to do and kill who they want to kill. And, hey, abortion is just exercising your individual right and convenience and so on like that. Because that's all life is to people who hold to this culture of death is how do I just navigate my way through and, you know, have as much comfort and convenience as I can before I expire. And yeah, that's really what abortion is about. And yes, when we can promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, which gives people hope and the meaning for life, then you can realize why we fight this battle against things like mifepristone, against 
pills that kill. And so, yes, we will put this battle in God's hands and we will trust God with however the outcome of this could happen. And by next week, as we do another episode on this to see what has transpired this week, we shall see. And hey, things could change drastically by next week. So if you're listening to this on Monday as it's released, by Wednesday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, the narrative on this can be changed. It could be night and day. We'll have to see what the Supreme Court does. As we're seeing the battle back and forth, life and death, people screaming back and forth on this and challenging authorities and saying, hey, you can't do this and so on. I just saw a verse, Proverbs 28, verse 2, and it makes me... See this battle through the lens of this verse. It says, For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof. But by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. And so, yes, when you have a land full of transgressions as we have now in the United States... We have many princes that are trying to rule in the way they they want to be their own princes. They want to give their own rulings and so on. They want their opinions to be law, and many princes are fighting each other. But understanding and knowledge, that's how you prolong <laughs> goodness. And so that's what we're seeing here and... We know that the gospel is what gives understanding and knowledge. So we hope that you'll stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso in this very quickly evolving situation. And God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.